Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Eric, exciting Good day. afternoon, Rachel. Rachel, <laughs> I, I know we're opening the show, but we were just talking about the countdown from six. Yes. On the Riverside platform. Did it just count down from five? I missed it. I was focused on getting mentally ready for my, I was getting in character. So I missed it. Okay. We're going to, we'll go back to our listeners. For our listeners who aren't aware, I've been confused for the last couple of years. We use this platform that starts a countdown from the number six, and I cannot figure it out. If anybody understands why, email us. I'll send you a hundred dollar gift certificate, but good afternoon, Rachel. <laughs> good afternoon. And can we talk about how excited I am for today's guest? I mean, we have a real gem and I can't wait to jump into it. So welcome to the podcast, Tony Sager. He's senior vice president and chief evangelist for the center of internet security. Welcome, Tony. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, Rachel. <laughs> great, to, great to reconnect with you, Eric. Hold on a second, Rachel. I don't think you're doing Tony justice. We're not going to read his entire bio, but I know Tony, it's, it's so impressive. I was figured we would like sprinkle it in throughout the conversation. I, I don't want to embarrass him, but it is kind of like incredible. It, it's it's this incredible bio, Tony. How many years did you spend up at NSA, Tony? Uh, just short of 35 years there. We're going to give you the extra couple months because we appreciate your service to the country. Yes. A fellow podcaster, you have like 36 episodes out on the Cybersecurity Where Are You podcast, which I listened to three episodes this morning alone. Um, I I was driving up to New York and, and what a great content. So, Tony, thank you for joining us. What's so Fantastic, Tony. I mean, in, in your time in cybersecurity before there was cybersecurity, you know, you, you've really seen the, the gamut of change and evolution. And, and I was reading a, a blog of yours, I think it was from February, when you were talking about uh, the Cyber Safety Review Board and, you know, uh, that was being announced and you were joining the board. And I, I really love this, uh, this characterization of wizardry <laughs> that you talked about in cybersecurity. And I, w- I would love if you could share that with our listeners, because I found that fascinating. Well, you know, um, thank you for reading that, number one, Rachel. But yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a phrase I've been using here recently. Wizardry is the model that I grew up in, right? This idea of brilliant people inventing the right, perfect, mathematically verifiable technology for operating systems and, you know, and so forth. And, and, and there's a lot of great technology, a lot of brilliant people, you know, that preceded me, believe me, in terms of the, the basics of computer security, computer science, networking security, et cetera, et cetera. And um, yeah, that's how I made that's how I made my living. Right, I grew up among these really smart people, uh, great ideas and all that stuff. But it, it occurred to me at some point in my career, as I got more and more into testing, you know, people are really impressed by security wizards, but they almost knew never do what we recommend that they should do. <laughs> They're like really impressed, right, oh, right, right. you know. And so, in, in the context of my my work, right. Testing a network system, finding all these flaws. You give a lovely bit of PowerPoint to the general. Oh my gosh, this is so cool and great. And he turns to his poor IT people who are underfunded, under-equipped, you know, and going, right. you know, yet another report of stuff that we know we need to fix, but but we can't afford right. to, or the boss won't pay attention to it. And 
so what I say is that, that mm-hmm. wizardry is a great is a great thing, right? It's great that we have smart people involved with this. But wizardry turns yeah. out to be better for job security for old guys like me. Than, and it's not very good public policy, right? <laughs> you can't really run a country or right. an economy on wizardry because if you treat the bad guy <laughs> yeah. in particular as a wizard or a magician, your only defense is to hire yeah. your own magicians. And they're in kind of short supply. Right. And you have to pay them a lot. And they speak funny language. And, you know, this idea of... Um, you know, treating this as wizardry has gotten us to a certain point. But what's happening, mm-hmm. I think, in the in the big sense across the industry, and it's a healthy thing. It's uncomfortable for all wizards, by the way, but it's it's the right answer. Yes. Is you know, we don't ask for wizardry so I can safely buy a lamp without getting electrocuted or so I can fly on a plane or that I can worry about public health, right? We build a lot of the risk management into our kind of decision making mm-hmm. infrastructure. You know, we codify things. We certify people. We establish a body of knowledge. We certify products. You know, we have building codes. All this kind of stuff is there to help us manage risk. And that's where, you know, that's what the big shift we've seen over the last few years in the industry, right? Mm. Everybody's a cyber person now. They just don't know what they're supposed to be doing, right? Lawyers and, and right. insurance companies and regulators <laughs> and so forth. So so it's important to get the historical context. Uh, again, th- 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 we need many more wizards. There's a phrase I used to use in um, my talks. Uh, We we got plenty of wizards. We need more mechanics. You know, we we need security mechanics to build the stuff that we, that we have uh, not put in place yet. So that's where that comes from. It's this, you know, it's been, it was part of me growing up in the business, right. To say, you know, you grow up in a certain model and then you realize, but we're not really changing things at the rate we need to, so we can function as a society. So what am I missing? You know, it was about that transition for me personally and then my observation of the industry. Mm-hmm. Tony, I have a question for you. you, you you'd you say it makes the wizards uncomfortable. What are they uncomfortable about? Well, you know, wizardry, I guess, and I joke about it, but it's actually kind of true, right? That there's a certain prestige that comes with being a wizard. You know, they have to pay you well. And the boss doesn't right. really understand you, but you know he, you know he needs you. And so there's, right. a, there's a position that you have in in the sort of pecking order of uh, you know of jobs and your role in the organization so there's a there's a discomfort with that when that is threatened you know there's a um, there's a blog thing i'm working on rachel you might enjoy okay. look, look for it in the next few weeks uh where and i say this with great affection right i grew up in this business but uh, security wizards sometimes are better at managing their own risk than they are at helping everybody else manage theirs so what is this risk they're yes. managing? What's the loss of prestige of the risk, right? The loss of, right. of high paying jobs. A lot of it though, is about the risk of being wrong. So you ask yes. me for my advice, I tell you to do this, but I don't like to be wrong. So I'm gonna tell you to do this, that, and the other thing, right? I'm gonna give you, oh, you're gonna do a hundred things. I'm gonna give you a list of 150 things. So that's how in the industry, we, we wind up with these gigantic control catalogs and complex frameworks and all this stuff. There's a natural conservatism that comes with this, right? I don't want to be wrong. And oh, if something does go wrong, I don't want to be the one that said, oh, you didn't tell us about, you know, so-and-so. So, there's, there, and I, so I say it in jest, but I really mean it seriously. There's a kind of a, a risk management equation at play here, right? At the end of the day, it's not right. my risk. You know, I get it. I, again, I, I like prestigious jobs. I like to get paid. But at the end of the day, we're trying to manage other people's risk. And so what, is, right. what do they need to make a decision? Not what do I need to make me feel better about yeah. what I've said. So I, I think you get the point there, right? It's really something yeah. that we all okay. need to be thinking about here. Again, at the end of the day, this is about how do you as a citizen 
make decisions that are inherently risky. You know, to fly, mm -hmm. to, to drive across a bridge, to eat food at a, at a commercial facility. You don't become an expert in all those things, right? You count on, right. you know, people are certified, knowledge has been codified into building codes or whatever the model happens to be. So, you know, I, you know I'm a bit of a liberal arts mathematician too. So I studied history a lot in this, looking at the history of how we wound up with safety things, right? How we develop mechanisms of public yes. policy or uh, uh, civil engineering or medical practice and all that kind of stuff. I think it's an important lesson for all of us in this, you know, new IT oriented cyber age. So really, if I, if I can paraphrase just to make sure I understand it. It's it's almost the democratization of cybersecurity. As as more people join the community, as more people know more, those extreme wizards, those experts feel somewhat threatened because they're not the end all be all. Is is that what you're saying though, or like demystifying a bit? Yeah, I, I I refer to it pulling you know, the I, curtains back. Yeah, I, I yeah. call it the, uh, the 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 mainstreaming. That's probably not a great term for that. You know, again, it's yeah, it's, no, I, but it's, I know what you mean there. Yeah, it's putting this important work again. Please, I, I love wizards, right? I grew up around them, uh, but yeah, it's putting their work in context, right? It's not mm -hmm. enough. So the, the the naive model, you know, that I grew up in. Uh, gee, I know I have a, a, a really, say in the military context, right? I have this network that supports my military operations. I got to make sure that the bad guys can't do it. What am I going to do? Mm, I'm going to hire, bring in these smart folks from NSA or wherever I bring them into, and they're going to hack and attack, pretend to be the bad guy. They're going to give me a list of things they found, and I'm going to fix them, and it'll all be good, and we'll move on, right? Well, we, you know, we've all learned over time, you know, any problem you find is just a symptom of larger problems. And that was what I, you know, yes. if there was a kind of a neat virtue to my career, and, and roughly speaking, you know, I came into a place that was just extra, an extraordinarily interesting place for its time, where the cyber stuff kind of grew up. And, and the first third of my career, and, and, and just for context, I'm sorry, um, my career has been working for defense, but being one of the pretend bad guys, right? So, you know, if you face, if you have a system that has, uh, where there's a lot of risk involved, and, you, and you're wondering, geez, what are the bad guys thinking and how might they take advantage of this or undo me or get around me? You know, but they're, gosh, those bad guys won't actually tell me what they're going to do. I better hire my own pretend bad guys to go look at this. And we call that in the business red teaming and black hats and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So I was lucky enough to come into that starting primarily in math and then in computer science. So roughly speaking, the first third of my career was you know, learning this technical craft, which at the time was really – NSA or inside government, and you know, that's kind of where that the action was there. The middle third was around uh, moving into management, so getting to see lots of this kind of work at, at scale, and just you know, and I, I think at one point, and I say this very very humbly, uh, you know, I might have been running the biggest vulnerability finding machine for defense in the U.S. government, which gave me insight into I'm sure like you, see, I'm sure you were well, and yeah. seeing lots of things fail, right? How how right. we could pretend to make them fail, but you know, I. I, I can say with a straight face, I'm one of the few lifelong defenders who spent most of his career inside an intelligence agency. So that, again, at that time, that let you see what nations do to each other. You know, how we go yeah. after other people, how they come after us, how they go after each other. Yes. And so I got to see a lot of failure at scale. And what, what really struck me was, I'm just seeing the same things over and over again. You know, whether we go find it or they go find it or they find it in somebody else. A lot of this was just, it, it wasn't like... Uh, millions of unique attacks happening every day. It was millions of repeats 
of kind of the same old garbage yes. over and over and over again. Like, what's going on here? Are we not learning? So that was tied into what we talked about earlier, right? Realizing, you know, if, if just pointing out vulnerabilities was the key to fixing them, I should have been out of work 20 years ago, right? You know, the idea was, oh, if I just bring in these hot shots, they point out my problems, I'll be inspired or scared or something, and we'll go fix them. And much to my surprise, once I got to see this at scale, like, wait a minute, we're not, it's not inspiring people. It's not scaring them, you know, and they just get overwhelmed by it. It's just more noise in their day. And these are complex networks doing expensive, risky things. And there's and business owners or military leaders have lots to worry about, right? They're not breathlessly waiting for me to tell them what to do. They got a lot, hundred other things they're trying to juggle. So clearly something was missing in the basic mm-hmm. industry model of, you know, find flaws, inform people, walk away with no responsibility to fix it. That's the best job ever. I mean, that's yeah. the job I had. <laughs> if you can get that gig, right? man, you should take it because it's great prestige. <laughs> It's great fun. You're around really clever people. People appreciate what you do. But it turned out that that by itself was not enough to fix those problems, right? So that thought, just to finish up, was uh, I just felt so lucky to be in such a unique place, right? To to see, to to learn the technical craft, but then to have the opportunity to see across all these different sorts of jobs and again what was happening at the national level to get to work with the vendors. So first third of my career learning technical craft, second third sort of right. you know seeing things at scale. And I have to be honest, I spent the last third of my NSA career going, what are we doing wrong? Why are we seeing these same problems over and over again? And it had to do with, you know, that this observation, just knowing about a problem doesn't get it fixed by itself because fixing things is about incentives. It's about authority. It's about how I buy, how I buy stuff, how I operate it. So that became kind of my quest for that last third, I was still yeah. running the vulnerability analysis stuff at NSA, but really kind of focused on how do I create knowledge from this testing and analysis that can drive more directly the solutions? And how do I talk to policymakers, uh, to the industry, to standards organizations, and put more information out there that can prevent the problems that we're finding? You know, and so that was part of the, you know, the discomfort of wizards too, right? You know, they you, you hire great people, you train them to be on the red team, for right. example, go find more right. problems. That's the, right. the goal is that, you know, it shouldn't take a national class asset to go and find that patches are missing, <laughs> that our configurations are sloppy, you know, that we have not managed changed well or administrative privilege well, right? That's a lesson that we all yeah. know. Now, sometimes what I tell people is that in the early days of red taping, we, we actually right. kind of forget why we were doing it back then. And I call we it need the a drama, good story. right? We need, yeah. you have to convince the senior decision makers and the generals that they have a problem. Therefore we need drama. We need to, you know, all your military operations won't execute and dramas. Right. Yeah. And, and that there's, that's a noble purpose, but we keep doing it right by itself. It doesn't produce enough information to actually solve the problem. What is the, you're doing it for a legit reason, right? To, to inspire people to do something, but to actually create information that would drive policy, that would drive purchasing, is a different class of problems. And so if you don't connect those, then you don't really uh, uh, take you down the solutions path. And I can tell you what happened was, so the, the NSA red team worked for you know, another organization, a Navy uh, captain, and the blue team. So the, so the red team, you know, pretend to be adversaries, nobody knows you're coming, et cetera, et cetera. The blue team worked for me, the friendly face. They show up, hey, how are you doing? Let's scan your systems and we can work together. 
And it, it was so broken back in these early days that for, there was a, a, a well-known thing that can't be explained in public, but uh, the red team had found this particular problem, scared everybody to death across a really large swath of the government. And I guess it was tasked to go fix the problem, my blue team. And so I go to the Navy captain, hey, can, I, know about, I know something about this problem. Can my team get briefed in so they know what to do? And he goes, sorry, you're not authorized to hear the problem. I said, but we're supposed to go fix the problem. And, and, and he would say, I, I know what you mean, but, and he really meant it. He said, no, the, the senior person at the Pentagon, you know, this big guy, um, said, close hold. No one else should know. And I said, well, how do I get invited to a meeting with this guy? I can't believe he's an idiot. He wants this problem fixed, you know, and he wants NSA to bring every tool it's got to bear. Well, I, I happened to meet this guy and become <laughs> friends with him years later. And he laughed uproariously when he heard this story. He said, of course, I wanted everybody that could fix this to know about it. But it was a sign of the times. You know, the idea was, oh, my gosh, here's a problem in a live DOD system. We can't let anybody know. Right. And so what? What I also observed was back in those days, right. you know, that we were actually by, by yes. over close holding, right, or by holding the information too closely, we were actually crippling the defense. We were not crippling the bad guys. They yes. know what we have. They know what we're running, right? They've done their homework and their reconnaissance. And so this idea of how do I openly share this in a way that makes sense and, and can really empower defense and some of that was the reasoning behind, I don't know if you, you followed, I mean, this is sort of lost to history now, but it was in June of 2001. Mm -hmm. So as an outgrowth of all the security testing, our really clever people that worked in our group put together what we called then the NSA security guides. Here's what, here's what we think is the best way to configure a Windows desktop or a web server, mail server, et cetera. Uh, I got permission to release that to the public in June of 2001 through the early days of NSA.gov. And that was more than just like being a nice person, right? The idea was, I, again, given the background I was uh, uh, growing up in, I thought the Defense Department is never going to solve this problem by itself. And there was also very conscious activity to, uh, yes. for example, outsource a lot of non-warfighting functions to commercial suppliers or to allies or to other people, right? So our perimeter was disappearing, so you don't get there's no nice, neat, tidy. Let's let's secure the Defense Department. It's wait a minute. How about all our suppliers? No one gets paid in the DOD. No, no, no goods get moved to the right spot without commercial friends. Right. All these things are happening uh, for all kinds of good economic reasons. Yes. But now you've essentially dissolved your perimeter. We have to help everyone get better. And that's just the nature of this you know, universal connection, uh, this network that we all live on. I was seeing that, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So 2001 was a big watershed event for us to both put this content in the public, but I also wanted to open up what we were doing in a way that was very, okay. And also observed at the time, you know, open source was really taking off. And the idea was, you know, the government isn't going to pay everybody to fix this. We're going to have to find market-friendly, you know, community ways to improve everybody. And so if we wanted to be out there participating, we had to bring our share. And so our share was we've developed all this work. We're going to put it out there. OK, and let's you know, this is what we do. And this is our contribution to the cause was the way that I thought of it. And that that turned out, you know, if I made one good call in my career, that was it. It was to really uh, push this idea of let's get outside the building. Let's share right. what we're doing. And we we always got back more than we gave. I mean, it was, that turned out to be, you know, people appreciated the mysterious back then. It was a mysterious NSA, uh, you know, being out there in the public to participate in standards groups, to provide content, 
to go to industry events and give talks. And uh, so it was a really, uh, I think, a, a, a sea change in the way we approached uh, the mission. And again, you know, I had a part in that just based upon you know, what I described, which is realizing we're not going to solve this through red teaming, right? That's just a data point that allows us to understand something that we then have to translate into action. And to this day, if you go to NSA.gov, the NSA is still releasing information for the betterment of the public, right? Where you can get information mm-hmm. and understand yep, how to absolutely. better protect your systems and why. So that's that's continuing today, Tony. Yeah, I I, I watched that carefully also, Eric, because it, it feels really good. And, and many of these, and I'll say this if you don't mind, kids – that came up in our group. So kids so like kids like you, Rachel. No, they are the real leaders there now, and it is so yeah. amazing to see mm-hmm. all the great work, the uh, public-facing things that they're doing out there, giving talks yes. at conferences, participating, uh, and and you know watching the behavior in government. Right, a lot more if you if you watch this sort of thing, a lot more joint work between uh, the folks at DHS, CISA, uh, FBI, uh, very openly, publicly working together yes. around you know incidents, bad guys, reports on what's going on, advisories for this and that and the other. Uh, th- that was just I can't tell you how good that feels as uh, an alum to look back and see you know the momentum there. Um, so the, the when I mentioned uh, we released the security guidance to the public in two thousand one, uh, that was also around the time if you know a thing called security enhanced Linux. That, that came out, I think, December of 2000, from, not from my group, but from the R&D folks down the hall. So it was kind of a race to say who could be you know, more involved in the public. Than I, and the guy that was the chief back then once said, yeah, you know, we were, we were first, Tony. I said, yeah, but we blew you away in terms of downloads. <laughs> that SE Linux stuff is only for the, like, the really serious practitioner, you know, mathematically minded folks there. But, it, but the spirit of it back then in the early 2000s was about uh, openness, uh, sharing, and how do we translate yes. all this into action? Yeah. And, and Tony, it's, it's 2022 right now as mm-hmm. we're recording. The adversary has clearly become more funded, more incentivized. A lot more information is out there. You've talked about the government working better together. The, the mm-hmm. you know, People have become much more knowledgeable. There are more wizards. There are more diff- different levels mm-hmm. of wizardry. How are we doing in your opinion? Like, what would you, is, is there anything you would have changed, but, but what's working, what's not? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, you, you know, we, you have a, um, a challenge, right? Of, uh, and everyone can find great examples of, of working together. You know, there's a lot, yes. lots of good stories. But, you know, some days it feels like the problem's getting worse faster than we're getting better. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a hopeless optimist, right? You can't work for defense in decades, for decades without being <laughs> a, a hopeless optimist, right? You love that kind of challenge. But uh, so there, there are uh, uh, great signs and great opportunities for working together and, and great progress in a lot of ways. But I, I, for a long time, it felt uh, not as optimistic as that. I used to joke in my talks, it wasn't quite a joke, if you want to see capitalism in action, look at the bad guys, not the good guys. Right? So it was right. this, this, yes. um, what, what you saw for folks that follow criminality, right, this uh, every, I mean, this is where criminals are going to go because, you know, this is a classic. That's where the money is. And uh, yes. did you ever uh, there's a quote I, uh, from a friend that I use with permission. If you know the name, uh, Sean Henry at CrowdStrike. Yep. So Sean's been around. You know, he's a, a wonderful guy. He, and he was the, essentially the first, I think, the first cyber executive at the FBI. And he was once quoted in the paper and it was so good. I called him up and said, did you really say this, Sean? Can I use it with, you know, with attribution? He said, of course you can. So the quote is something like this. Anyone, and this is long, long ago, because anyone in organized crime who's not moving into this cyber stuff 
ought to be sued for malpractice. Right. And it was like, so good. So I called him. Out. Did you really say? He says, yeah, of course I did. He said, why would you run into a bank, draw a gun and put your life at risk? You know, for when you could do this over the wire for you know, a couple keystrokes. Yeah. And, exactly. uh, and much less risk, much greater return. And, and he says something like this. I don't remember the exact words, but something right. like this. And even if you're not smart enough to do it yourself, you're certainly nasty enough to kidnap somebody and force them to do it for you. So, you know, cause, <laughs> but it, it's a reminder that, right, this is not going away. This is where the money is. This is where our national treasure is. This is where your personal fortune is or whatever information the bad guys want. So this is going to happen no matter what. And then you saw the rise of criminality. We're, we're, sitting, we're in the midst of the rise of criminality. And you also see things like specialization, right? There's the very Darwinian, only the strong survive. Yes. You see the natural uh, specialization, tool builders, reconnaissance, uh, money, you know, uh, how do I monetize this? And so you see a lot of sort of natural, you know, what we think of as economic optimization happening right across the right. criminal enterprise. And the That's exactly what's happening. Still, yeah. And so it's, you know, and then you look at that, you know, well, wait a minute. You know, and I gave the, again a bit of out of date example of how we, in with good intentions, um, did not share def- potentially useful defensive information, and all we did was cripple the defense, not the bad guys, right? So that we're still struggling with some of these issues across our own industry around the you know the the sharing of incidents, right? And the uh, a lot of the things we've gotten over. Right? It used to be in the early days was oh my gosh this embarrassment of. You know, we've been hacked. Well, if you haven't been hacked, you're not paying attention. So right. you know, there's a lot more kind of acceptance of the problem and awareness that there's there's a common problem and therefore a common good to be had here. So we have seen progress in that. But I'd say there's still a ways to go in kind of recognizing what might be uh, the most useful things for us to do socially so that we can deal with this problem at scale. You know, these are classic you know, Community-wide problems, right? No company gets to solve this problem by themselves or for themselves. The government can't solve it by itself or for itself. And so it, it naturally leads us to these kinds of really systemic, complicated you know, problems where you don't get to change one thing. You have to change right. a lot of things uh, in order to make any progress. Now, that by the, and, uh, to take us back to the topic of the Cyber Safety Review Board, that was one of the issues mm-hmm. we were grappling with. You, know, you have lists of recommendations, but a lot of these are systemic kinds of things that right. you know, they don't neatly, okay, do, do A, then B, then C, then D. It's do a lot of things, and a number of them are long-term events that you, right. know, you, you could – and by the way, we've been staring at some of these long-term things for decades, uh, and they don't age well. So you have to – someday you have to get started, and so we have to, yeah. to see how do we take uh, some of these lessons and translate them both into – you know, things we do short term, but also the things that we need to do longer term. So, so Tony, going mm-hmm. back to the Cyber Safety Review Board, sure. we've got 15 distinguished members of the board mm-hmm. that picked Log4j as the first yes. event. Would you call it event or what would you, what would you call it? The first activity maybe to yeah, review? I think, yeah, I think I forgot we called it exactly. But let me just glance at the review of the event we called it. Right. Okay, so so the first major event, and from what I've heard, you know, w- one of the nice things about Log4j is it wasn't like Sunburst where there were specific companies involved. It's kind of all-encompassing. It hits everybody. We had a, uh, a friend of the show on, um, Mr. Uh, Ford, correct, Rachel, who said Log4j is going to be the most cataclysmic cybersecurity event of our time. Right. 
That was his prediction back in December of, what was it, 21, I guess, when 21. it first mm-hmm. came out. Based on its prevalence in Java code and every everybody's using Log4j right. pretty much was the answer. So you pick Log4j, the, the team goes out and does the research, includes a massive part of industry, and you come back with an understanding of what happened, how it happened, and I, I think it breaks down into a couple of sections, right? Really understanding, mm-hmm. you know, the, the factual information, the findings and conclusions, and then the recommendations. Yes. And there are 19 recommendations. And they're pretty good recommendations, from my opinion. How do we get out, how do, how do we get the world going back to not just red teaming it, you know, we understand what's happening now and nobody does anything. How do we get the world to listen? Well, <laughs> you're going to give me an easy one to start with. This is a professional podcast. We got to have hard hitting questions. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, uh, and just to clarify one thing. So the, the board doesn't pick the problem to be solved. That really is task given to us from, I believe in this case, it was from uh, director Jen Easterly. Uh, so, so we are, okay, okay. you know, we, that there is discussion about appropriate problems, but at the end of the day, the, the so board is, CISA is, is says, that. I want you to go out and I want you to help us with this. Right. So a, a choice is made and there's a legal mechanism that sort of a lot that got it. in the charter that allows that to happen. But yeah. And so the, and the board is chosen There's a group of industry folks and a group of government folks and, and support and infrastructure is provided by CISA to help us uh, with the uh, research and scheduling and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I, I will say when when Log4j came up, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure that'll be that great an example. And it turned out to be a really great example from my mm-hmm. perspective. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that it was so all-encompassing that right. it was a chance to look at a lot of things, both in its sort of immediate sense and as symptoms of larger problems or challenges that the nation has or that the whole economy has around this. And so... Um, uh, that, you know, it just, in hindsight, uh, as we got towards the end, I thought, boy, this, this has really been a rich discussion and really interesting and let us talk about a lot of really important problems. So I really, you know, I think that the choice was wise. It certainly wasn't my choice to, as, as to, do, to do this one, but I think it, in hindsight, it really felt right to me. Uh, it also, it, and, and thank you, Rachel, you mentioned having look at, looked at my blog. I wrote a prequel deliberately before yes. we started because I wanted to say, what am I, what am I think? What do I think we're going to see? And not not to prejudge or to be biased, but to kind of look at it with a historical eye, right? That is, and I think I said something like, I'll be startled if there's some technical result that we haven't thought about many times before. Right. And that's not to downplay the importance or the uh, relevancy of the problem. It was just my impression that, you know, we've seen a lot of things happen in this industry over decades, and a lot of really bright people have looked at this. So, it's hard to imagine some unique thing that would appear. And I think that turned out to be true. And I also said, we're going to see illustrations of really deep systemic, you know, universal problems. And I think that was, that was certainly true also. So, but uh, I would just say, just to say a word or two and the, and the deliberations of the board are, you know, are, are private to the board. Right. Uh, but I can share with you uh, just what a amazing group of people and lively uh, discussion and great cooperation from the, the people that we asked uh, by large for information. So, you know, the, the rough model was the national transportation safety board, right? right. Which is long established, you know, and, and that's good because it gives you a, 
a kind of a visual or a, right. an image that we work towards. And it also is bad because there, it doesn't fit 100% in this cyber right. business, right? There's no you know, wreckage to be reassembled. You're not going to find uh, you know, a violation of a building code, an acceptable building code or weakness in the rivets or whatever you know, turns out to be the, the cause. So it's, and, it, and it doesn't end, right? There's no, you, know, you, you look at a, a reconstruct an accident and you can either reinforce or get new information about, right. you know, all the mechanisms that manage risk in this, in this whatever the uh, element of transportation is involved here. And here we have much more complicated, a gazillion variables, lots of behavior, no accepted yes. standards for, you know, how is a piece of software written, uh, how is it right. uh, operationalized and all that. So really kind of messy problem. So that's the downside of having a kind of an image like that. But anyway, a, a great job of sort of pulling all that together. Um, what we also, I said in the prequel, what would be really valuable is the chance to really study something in detail and put it into context because we're all getting a little burned out on this cyber fatigue thing, you know, right? If, you know, log exactly. day, whatever, solar, wind, I mean, there's, there'll be another right. one next month, next week, next quarter yeah. that will consume our attention. The mm -hmm. you know, massive amount of information flowing in from, uh, threat analysts and the industry and the government, and we'll just be flooded with that. You know, and people will scramble, and you know, and, and they'll be on to the next one. Right. So it's it's rare to have this kind of collection of people with this sort of you know national uh, attention uh, spend a little extra time dig into these. So really, just I really enjoyed being part of that. That's why I agreed to be a part of this uh, you know, this activity because I just thought it would be a rare opportunity to to really look at something with a um, you know, with a, a not say leisurely, but a more practiced and thoughtful eye to what is really going on here and what are the mix of things we need to do now and right. things that we need to get started that have longer tails to them. So so all that, uh, the recommendations, you know, no, I, I'm sure that uh, every person on the committee would say uh, we stand behind the, the work. We're really proud of what we did. Uh, anyone and not all of us cared equally or knew equally about every issue and every rec uh, um, reg recommendation that was in there. But a lot of great learning, you know, I, I felt I learned a lot from lots of different folks and contributed a little to some of these ideas and help, help bring them in. So at the end of the day, you know, it's a, it's a work by committee, but I think uh, a lot of interaction and a lot of great discussion and a lot of really good intent. I mean, everybody that was there, you know, is someone who's got a significant role in the industry and feels very, you know, feels a great sense of ownership about trying to solve yeah. these problems. That's important. I think one of the things, uh, you know, Black Hat's going on this week, and mm -hmm. I think there were some folks talking about the report. Um, and one of the things that had come out of it with the soft software bill of materials, which I thought was really interesting. It's yeah. that's come up in the past on the on the show too. asset management, asset inventory. Um, you know, how did how did you guys get to that that kind of perspective? Yeah, boy, the, the uh, bill of materials, SBOM, as it's known, is is one of the, the things that's in there. And what I will share with you what here's my perspective on it. Some of this mm -hmm. in the report. And again, I, I can't can't go into any details about the sure. but I can tell you my, my sort of philosophy that uh, right. that drives this. At the end of the day, we all are making really high risk decisions at multiple yes. points, whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. So the decision to integrate a piece and, and modern software and systems today aren't really created from scratch. They're mostly composed of pieces. Right? That's mm -hmm. what allows us to have scale and 
a worldwide network. And so, and so you take that down and to have the log four J everywhere. Well, exactly. And so, you, I you mean, know, right? the, the, it's a piece. Everybody right, used right. it. Right. right. I mean, what yeah. lets us, uh, you know, have this amazing, right. This is an amazing time to be alive in terms of information sharing infrastructure. But a lot of that is empowered by the reuse of things, right. bits of code and use of protocols, so we can standardize the way things talk to each other. So at a code level, the decision to integrate someone else's code, whether it came from a commercial source, open source, a partner, is actually a pretty risky decision. Right, but there, right. but we, we often make those decisions. Either we, we don't realize we're making that decision or we're making it with really weak information. Right. Okay. So SBOM is really aimed at a problem, sort of right. conceptually, right? That is, what do I know about the security, the integrity, the quality of something mm -hmm. I'm bringing in, which could have many downstream implications for risks right. later? So SBOM is about transparency, right? What, what made up, what are the pieces that made up the, the piece of code that I'm integrating in that will be reflected later in other decisions? And other people are going to take the other pieces of code, pull them together with hardware, with with uh, you know what 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 is the business business mission right. of this? What's what kind of data is it going to hold? All that stuff, and pull all that together. So I I always try not to get hung up on the you know is it S bomb or not? Is the little question is what does that mechanism does it provide me information to make these right. risk decisions down the road? And then going at it from the other direction, right? So there's a tendency in the industry. I'm sure this will shock both of you to over engineer things. And I won't give any examples because people's feelings will be heard here. But, you know, <laughs> when in doubt about building like a standard or a, a programming interface or whatever, you know, we, we tend to, again, this is a natural conservatism in security. When in doubt, try to solve every problem and every use case. And, oh, I got my favorite thing. So if you go take that approach, you get really gigantic, ponderous things that the vendors will never build or they'll build. You know, there's enough fuzz in it. Tony, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not a developer, but. I'm just not smart enough to take the 452 recommendations or the guidance that NIST yeah. gives out on a 900, 3,000-page yeah. document on the proper way to do things. And that's what I know we're it's the right thing, but yeah. the fog it's of just more, overwhelming. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Fog of more. Yeah, thanks for the reference, Rachel. Yeah, the, the fog of more was a talk I gave, I forget, uh, some years ago, 2014 or something, maybe 2012. I forget, after I retired. But it was I was trying to come up with a way to convey – so here's the irony. Again, I'm, I'm speaking as an old guy in this, right? That it, it, it struck me that our problem is in the, the problem in the early days was we didn't, geez, I don't have any defensive tools. I don't have any visibility. I don't have any, you know, right. what am I going to do? I there's nothing to help me defend myself. The problem today is actually the opposite. We have too many. Too many, many, yeah. It's yes. not the lack of tools or training or certifications or threat feeds or anything. It's that the typical enterprise is overwhelmed. We're not empowering defense. We're overwhelming it, right? right. You, you can't make sense of it all. It's too much. And, you know, and there's lots of reasons for this, right? Bad guys are, are good at being bad guys. So they're very determined. Right. We have, there's a lot to be done. The technology is risky. When it was designed, we weren't sure you know, what it was going to be used for. Who, who would have thought, like the, the internet we have today, who would have, you would never have designed it this way if you were thought it was going to be the economic backbone for the future of our nation, right? You would have built something radically different. And the designers of the original internet were not designing to be the economic backbone of the future of our nation. So, you know, it just, it came that way. And now here we are trying to retrofit security, uh, security as we know it today. 
in a really complicated environment. So this this complexity of so we have a different problem. We're overwhelming defenses, you know, giant control catalogs, and really complicated risk management frameworks. Right. So people are overwhelmed by this, and that was the point I was trying to make with that talk. Is that right. you know it's it's the more and and the, the the pun is the fog of war, right? That term that was used from yes, uh, right. you know uh, Klaus Witz and and I was I the the title came from. I turned to my bookshelf and I saw uh, it was uh, lifting the fog of war was a, a well-known book in the DOD back in the day about the you know, early days of what we then called mm. quietly the information age, you know, and the availability of all this commercial. Remember when war fighting shifted to something you watched on CNN, right? Yes. That was like, oh my God, you know, instead of government unique special sensors telling us what's, what's going on, it becomes sort of open public knowledge. But so, so that was the point I was trying to make there. And, and um, you know, if you don't mind a, a, bit, a bit of a, a slight branch here, I, that really started to chew on me, you know, again, towards the end of my career. How do I help simplify this problem right. as opposed to produce more information that just adds to the confusion? And even mm-hmm. things I mentioned, I'm very proud of, right, the release of the NSA security guides to the public by our team. Um, in some sense, that's more fog. Right. Like, do I trust the NSA guys or the NIST checklist or the CIS benchmarks or the vendors checklist? Right? How, do, how do they sort through all that? Right. So that's one of the origin points of the, of the work that you know I'm still involved with, the, the Center for Internet Security, the CIS controls. And there's a yes. there's a bit of a you know comic book superhero origin story of that. This thing is now a worldwide you know thing. I would love to tell you I had this grand vision of the future and, and what was important, but of course none of that's true. I, I, <laughs> I was just struggling with this. Oh, so once I released, or once we released this stuff to the public. That actually started my public speaking career, much to my surprise, because one uh-huh. does not go to NSA to speak in the public. <laughs> so, right. But we kept getting requests for interviews and you know that kind of stuff. And so I find myself out there and, yeah, proudly telling the story of what we did this and you know, what we did and here to help you, blah, blah, blah. And people started to ask me a question that I'd never really pondered. This is so embarrassing, but I'm going to share it with you guys and your audience anyway. And they would say things like, oh, that's great. Thanks very much, Tony. What do I do first? What? What, what do I do yeah. first? You know, thanks for your order. What, what, what yeah. do I I'm going, yeah. oh, man. And here's, here's, what, here's my character flaw revealed to you. See, I was never responsible to fix these problems, right? What do I do first is the question from someone who owns the problem. We've yes. got to solve it, right? Because you've got a boss. You've got a budget. You've got regulators looking over your shoulder. And I'm going, well, we told you what to do. You know, there's this stuff and NSA stuff and this stuff. And you're going to... Yeah, yeah, but what do I do first? I'm gonna, I can't read thousands of pages of stuff and decide what applies to me. Like, wow, you know what? That's actually a great question. And I, at some point, I came back and I, I true story, I gathered five friends, five, and most of my friends are pretty extraordinary. So these are not ordinary people. These are you know yeah. the tech leader of the red team and blue team and that kind of really smart people. And the, here's what I told them: No one leaves a room until we all agree on a small number of things that all of our friends should do. Wow. All right. And I will not allow you to solve world hunger or peace in our time at this meeting, because that's what security people do, right? right. So you put us together right. and like, oh, you know about 20 flaws and things to do? Well, I know five more. Well, I'm going to one-up you. Yeah. And, you know, that's how you get these gigantic <laughs> recommendation lists and so forth. And I said, no, no, small number. And to me, small is five to seven. Five to mm-hmm. seven things. Let's, let's argue until we get to five to seven. 
And Tony, to me, it's one to three. I know. Well, well, guess what? Does that I say something about me? Well, maybe it does, Eric. I'm, uh, I think, you, were, uh, I think you, missed, you missed some of your audience there if I was in it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, I couldn't get them to agree to five to seven, just to let you know. Oh, and we boy. came up with a list of ten. And the list of ten was on two pages. That's, that's it. It was a letter that went, and I sent it to friends at the Pentagon and the CIO of the Air Force and things like that. And all it said was, Based on our experience, if you don't know where to start, start here. You know, what's the, what's the I think core? That's great. What's the that's foundation? Wonderful. And I was trying to just be helpful, right? In a in a low key, you know, because I just wanted to answer this question: What do I do first? And uh, so we sent it. Never thought another word about it. And the team leader, he peeks in my door one day a couple of months later. He goes, um, "If you know the name Alan Powler, the late Alan Powler, yeah. the uh, founder yeah. of the Sands Institute," and he says mm-hmm. uh, he leans in my door and he goes, uh, "Hey." Uh, Tony, Alan got a hold of our list and he wants to know if he can build a community service project out of it. And wow. uh, if you know, if you're familiar with the Sands Institute, they do nothing at small scale. Yeah. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're a big machine. And so a two page thing. And I said, of course, you know, we, it wasn't classified or anything, obviously. And I said, but let's, let me talk to our lawyers to make sure that we can stay involved and, and be part of the team. And then, yeah. so they, it turns from a two page list to a, a thing, right? And, you know, with classes and conferences and posters wow. and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but the, the whole theory of the case or the philosophy is the important thing, right? It's can I simplify? And to simplify, you, you don't want to just be simple. You want to be simple right. with meaning, right? The goal is not to give something trivial to people, but it's a starting right. point. How do I build? What do I get going on? You know, so you want it to be uh, intellectually defendable and part of a bigger Stream because no 10 things are going to solve world hunger or peace in our time or cybersecurity, but you want to get them on right. the right path. And that was the, the notion there that, that we have tried to preserve. And it's really a bedrock philosophy for what we're doing here is, and, and you have to believe the philosophy, right? You have to believe the principle and not everybody does. Wizards don't, right? Yeah. I grew up in the business where everybody's a special snowflake, right? The thing we learned in kindergarten or whatever, you're special. Yeah, yeah we are, but... <laughs> You know, in cyberspace, and my, um, I have, my my firstborn is an English major, and she tells me my grammar is off and off. But so, but take it for what it will. What I say is, in cyberspace, we all have more in common than we do that's different, right? We're we're essentially okay. using roughly the same technology on the same network. We're interlocked in these complicated business relationships that we don't even understand, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. constantly changing. So we. And so the bad news is we have this shared problem, right? One vulnerability in a log4j suddenly ripples across a gazillion machines. And so that's bad, shared problem. But shared mm-hmm. problem is also a chance for shared action, for shared right. opportunity, right? To say, yeah, but some of these problems are not unique to you. They're, in fact, systemic. They affect everybody. Right. That gives us the opportunity, if you're an optimist, like some of us, that to focus our attention there. And every, I think, responsible uh analysis that I could do, that we could do in, back in my day around what is the real root cause or the nature of the of the attacks, the successful attacks that we have seen. You know, I think this is a classic 80-20 rule kind of a thing. Most of our attacks we see are, are actually based on a relatively small number of the same things over and over again. I've said that mm-hmm. before. And so the goal is, can I identify a small number of things that give me good value? that provide the foundation mm-hmm. for defense. That's really the tricky exercise here. And if you'll pardon one more riff, I often say, you know, we talk about um, 
share. Right? Share is the most important mm-hmm. verb in cybersecurity. Oh, share incidents, share this. I get it, you know, but I'm going to sound like a curmudgeon here, so forgive me. I, I have a talk I used to give. This will get you fired in the D.C. Beltway area. You know, sharing is overrated in cyber defense. <laughs> right? That was the title. And it's not because I'm a bad person or a curmudgeon. Right? We, but people forget we don't share just for sharing's sake. Right. Right. The point is to share so that people know how to take action. What should I do? Right. I contend the real verb that matters is not share. It's translate. How do I translate millions of data points about badness into a relatively small number of positive, constructive things that you can do about it? That's why you would want to take all this threat information in and subscribe to threat feeds and read all these threat reports. But guess what? The average enterprise, in fact, the majority of enterprises in our economy don't have a threat analyst in their company, right? I mean, right. they don't. They can't read these threat reports. They're not going right. to... You can send them all the indicators of compromise and stuff you want. They can't do anything. They don't know what to do with them. Right. And so so the translate, the translate verb is the one that really matters, right? Can I pull together expertise, translate millions of bad things into a smaller number of positive constructive things? And that's mm-hmm. this, you have to stretch a little bit. But this is not the unlike public health, right? We don't right. you can't absorb all the data about pandemics and uh, you know, the transmission vectors of disease, we have to translate that into behaviors. Wash your hands, get your shots, avoid these kinds of uh, encounters or locations or whatever. Those are translations of fancy science and really smart people in the back room into behaviors that we can all understand. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the science changes, right? And therefore we translate into different behaviors. Remember, you know, wash your hands and they be, how long do I wash my hands? And, you know, is it, is it mostly airborne? Is it, you know, contact uh, driven? Do I have to wash my groceries or, you know, we, again, this it's, it hasn't been a very efficient process, say relative to the current pandemic, but, you know, those are in the fancy words, those are a translation of science into behaviors. And that's what we do in many other endeavors here. So anyway, so this, this, this notion of having grown up in big government agencies mm-hmm. and then, you know, and I had the chance uh, which was unusual at the time at NSA to work with lots of friends in the industry, to make a lot of friends and to do a lot of cooperative voluntary work, but really seeing it in action, especially here at the Center for Internet Security, the power of volunteerism, mm-hmm. the willingness of people to contribute to common cause and create, you know, um, when I first spun out into a, the earlier nonprofit that we merged into CIS, uh, my partner then was Dr. Jane Lute, who was uh, number two at Homeland Security. And, and we were talking about workforce issues. And I said, you know, Jane, my experience in the industry is there's so many great people of goodwill who will contribute their time. All they need is a little bit of structure right. to point them in the right direction, right. to create a product, to set a deadline, to manage it. If we could just provide that, that's a really powerful engine in and of itself. We don't have to be a big company. We can be a modest-sized company that really helps helps provide this. The, the, the tagline I use sometimes is, uh, if you really want to get the best value from free labor – it, it doesn't come for free. You need a professional team to organize it, right? To, to bring it structured, to publish the documents, to to manage the interaction with vendors and all that kind of stuff. And then really that's what we do at CIS. Tony, I want, I want to go back to something you said. You were, you were talking about sharing sure. and then you said, really it's translate, yes. right? Because sharing for sharing purposes. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think there's a piece there that, that I'll call simplify. And I'll use a great example from CISA. I, I think... I think lately mm-hmm. what Chris Krebs and Jen Easterly and their teams have done coming out of DHS has been magnificent getting back to the basics, right? The, the, 
shields up, yeah. simplify, right? This is why making it simple. Right. The most impactful thing for me, and this isn't a CISA commercial, maybe it is, I don't know. Like the four things you can do to keep yourself cyber safe. And I think I've used that with companies. I've used that with government agencies. I've used that with people, my father, Rachel, multi-factor authentication. Come on. <laughs> are you using it yet? Nope. Not yet, huh? But, but, but simplify, right? Yes. What do you do? Multi-factor authentication. Yeah. Update your software. So we're talking patching, basics, enterprise, mm-hmm. individual, doesn't matter. Update. Think before you click. Mm-hmm. And then use strong password. Use password managers. They're simple. They're actionable. Everybody can do it. And I think if you look at the Log4J output from the Cyber Safety Review Board, you look at a lot of the work you've done over your career, they're basic things that can fix big parts of the problem. But I'd love your thoughts. No, I, I'm 100% agreeing with you. I think that uh, you know, security is an area. And I, I mentioned the kind of natural conservatism, right? You know, you, you, if you have a career like mine, there's a certain level of kind of paranoia that gets uh, delivered with it <laughs> because you, you, you get to see the worst. Exactly. You know, you see how systems get employed and, and I get it, but uh, you can either let that uh, empower you or paralyze you. And too often it paralyzes this, right? There's nothing I can do. I'm helpless. Or it's, or it's overwhelming. Really yeah, or it's overwhelming. I'm, I'm out. Right, I, exactly. I don't know where to st- To your point, I, I don't know where to start. Right. And if we don't present well, so this is what I realized, you know, that many a senior decision maker, say in uniform with stars on their shoulder, will say things like, okay, I, I hear everybody. I accept the risk. We're going we're gonna to go. Well, in cyberspace, you know that's not a knowing acceptance of risk. It's a frustration acceptance of risk because these IT wizards won't help right. me. And so they just go, right? So that's irrelevancy. You, you might be technically right, but you haven't helped the mission. And so that's, that's where I've tried to, you know, I, I want to stay on the right side of that equation, right? I want to help people. That doesn't mean, you know, you make things perfect. I think security, and I know I'm not the first I've said this, uh, perfection has been the enemy of yes. the good yes. in cybersecurity for a long period of time, right? You, you're not going to stop every possible bad guy, but you do those four things, you do the top 10, whatever, you have, they're moving on. They're going for easier prey, right? With, nobody wants to be the lonely antelope at the edge of the herd, right? That's a crazy <laughs> place to be. Get, take care of that kind of stuff, you know? And you don't, you're not going to ask people to execute rocket science, right? So I'm a big fan. I, I agree with you 100%, Eric. I think, uh, and I'm a big fan of, of CISA and what uh, Jen, Jen Easterly is doing there and her team. You know, it's it's to bring it, you know, th- there's a reason why our podcast, you mentioned at CIS, it's called Cybersecurity Where You Are. You have to meet yes. people where they are, not, not ask them to come to the wizard right. side. It's how do I translate? How do I simplify in a way? It doesn't mean you're solving it. And, and you know, so you could take a view that says, oh, that's the trivial stuff. And uh, yeah, I still know 10 ways around you. If you do that, then you're the wizard, lonely wizard, standing on the street corner, you know, telling people what they're doing wrong. If you want to help people to make progress, to get on the right path, to, you know, make it easy, make it tougher for the bad guys and more, give you more confidence in what you're doing, then you have to kind of meet them where they are, which is speak their language, address their problems in a specific way. Now, you know, and this CISA is you have to simplify kind of the behaviors that you ask people while you work the mm-hmm. infrastructure. Right. There are some hard problems that have to be solved. And you see some of them in that CSRB right. report, right? Improving the security of open source, improving the way we buy software. Those don't happen 
you know, in the next 30 days. Exactly. Those are long lead time, need support. And so, but you, you overwhelm people. You can't wait for those to get finished before you get to work. And you want to people, you want to get people headed in the yes. right direction in a positive, constructive, valuable way, right? It is valuable to turn on MFA. Does it stop every possible uh, uh, threat vector? No, but you know, at, it's modernized to the point where at relatively low pain point and, and you know, manageability by average humans, uh, there's tremendous value there. And so we need to start moving down more of those. So I, I, Did you hear I, that, Rachel? I'm a fan. I wouldn't have agreed to, to serve on the CSRB unless I was a big fan of the work that they Moderately. were doing. Oh, yeah. But there's always some holdouts there. There's, there's always a holdout, Eric. That's okay. You can't even I'm working on her. Get off the TikTok videos and use multi-factor authentication, Rachel. Come on. It's not that difficult. Okay, Tony, we're, we're, we're at time. I, I'd love to ask one question. Sure. I mean, you, you've got an illustrious career. Sure, What's one thing you wish you had done differently or sooner over your career that you just didn't do or your teams? That is a tough question. I don't know that I have a good answer for you here. I mean, you know, at every stage, I'm doing the best I can with what I got. Right, but hindsight's 2020. And, um, Boy, if we if we had released that data instead of in 2001, in 1983, yeah. we could have stopped the adversary for the rest of time. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm, that, I'm making yeah, that one up. here's here's my experience, Eric. Is that you know there are some things that I thought we I, I've learned. Number one, I'm a terrible terrible okay. estimator. I think, oh, well, we can get the whole, all this change in the industry in two years. Well, two years turned into five years, which turned into 10 yeah. years. And so even ideas that I thought if I could go back, I, I think I hit a couple of them at least pretty well early, but the time wasn't right. And it wasn't until later the right people showed okay. up all right, right. Or, the, or I, I saw the right knowledge or the right opportunity or the market shifted in a in a different way that ideas just became, you, you know, it was their time, right? There's a whole saying, right? Every, every idea, uh, you know, was, was once an idea ahead of its time or something like that. I'm not saying I, I knew these ahead no, of time, you. but yeah. I, 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 when I look back to, to things, I just realized, wow, a lot of this, maybe if I'd have done something different, but you know, it just wasn't the right idea at the right time. And I, I, when I look back at my career, I had one chance to, when I retired from NSA, I, uh, and then this is, was somewhere in my retirement mar remarks at some point. You know, I never wrote the one paper that changed people's mind. I never invented something. I never anything useful. And I don't. And I say this, I think, truthfully and humbly. Everything I did was a function of the multiple people who happened to kind of come into the orbit at the right moment in time. And maybe that's what it took. You know, I'm not smart enough or dynamic enough or clever enough to have maneuvered the world in a way that you know, that I would have liked. And I don't know that even with hindsight, I could have said I had done any of that. Everything kind of seemed to happen when it was supposed to, even when I was ready okay. for it earlier, it turned out, you know, the right circumstances weren't in place. So I'm at peace with what I did. You know, there were, uh, I made a, some great, uh, uh, I think I did some useful things in my time and I hope there's a couple more yet to go. Um, you know, I've made some amazing mistakes in my time that, uh, you know, I, I know I can't undo, but I learned yes. a lot from that really shaped the rest of my mm -hmm. worldview. So I feel, okay, I was supposed to do that. And here I am. Uh, if I ever made a mistake that I regret, it was maybe there were a couple of people I didn't pay enough attention to. Mm -hmm. I think we've right? all made that, that one. Just, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I regret I've, I've fixed a couple. I've gone back to reach back to people in my life. I'm old enough to, you know, to want to do that, to really feel that if something really bugs me. A couple people have reached back yeah. to me, by the way, with some misunderstanding we had years ago that I thought was a simple thing. And they they took it, you know, they felt bad yeah. about it and they've come back to me. And I really appreciate that. It's a very human warm thing to do to people and uh, you know at my stage of life i appreciate that even uh, even if maybe they took it worse than i did you know or whatever so i so said i'm okay i'm sorry that's a bit of a dodge no here. that's I, a I think that's a very answer. real fair right. answer and i think you know let me let me try to help somebody here while we're we're still on the air rachel timing you can yes. do multi-factor authentication now or you can wait till you have a banking problem or something else don't it's it is about the timing and i think it's time to uh like don't wait until it's too late and you learn from example i i can see i have stumbled into an ongoing just trying to come on tony we're just trying to help her it's a big one that and the dog talk tiktok videos yes she spends a lot of time still doing that i think i I love tiktok i'm obsessed with tony algorithm yeah. <laughs> Great discussion today. Yes, thank thank you, you so much for your time and your wisdom. Yes. And the stories. Thank oh, you. My, my pleasure. No, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me on here. There's, there's, um, it's, so this is a, you know, the, the best interview podcasts or whatever we have to be on. They're, they're just great conversations that you wish yes. to go That's on exactly another right. time. So maybe there'll be another occasion. Uh, and maybe you'll, you'll be guests of mine sometime. In the, in the <laughs> Careful what you ask for. That could be scary. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Awesome. Okay, Rachel. All right. Well, to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us for, for yet another amazing podcast discussion. And thank you, Tony, for joining us. This has been so much fun. Uh, and to all of our listeners, stay safe until next week. And uh, we look forward to showing up in your inbox next Tuesday. Until then, bye. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 